0: Well, good morning. Let's go once more to the Lord and ask for his help before we come to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are not a God who leaves us here just wondering what life is about. You're not a God who leaves us in the dark in regards to what it is that you require of us or what will happen at the end when we, when we die and stand before you. But we thank you that in your mercy you sent your son Jesus to proclaim very clearly that there is indeed something that we are to be about in this life and that very clearly that there is a day when this life will end and that we will meet our Maker. And Father, this morning as we come to a weighty section of Scripture, we pray that You might give our hearts sobriety. That we would not be deceived. That we would not be lulled into wandering away. That, Father, wherever we are this morning, whether we know you or don't, that you would use your word to pierce us and to help us understand very clearly that we are either for you or against you. And we pray that this morning that you'd help us to be for you. And we thank you that you have provided the way through your son, Jesus. And we pray that he would be magnified in our time together. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I lived in Texas for about ten years, and uh, it was a—I I enjoyed it. Great barbecue. I had cactuses in my backyard. We actually had armadillos. All kinds of interesting things. A lot of things I loved about Texas. But one of the things that I—I I loved, I think most about Texas, aside from the people and the things God did in my life during that season, was I—I I loved the big skies. There's there's really no mountains, and you can see like miles. And one of the things that I really liked about that was when storms would start to come in. Because you could see way off in the distance, these black clouds start coming, and and I kind of like storms. Well, there was one particular time that I was driving along and was listening to the radio, and a warning came on. And the warning was that there are tornado warnings all around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and uh, you need to find cover. And I could see off in the distance, there were some ominous black clouds moving in and they were they were moving fast and I'm driving along and I'm about halfway in the middle of an hour and a half drive which in Texas is kind of just nothing but we I'm driving along there and I'm watching these clouds come and at first I'm like this is kind of cool but as it got closer and closer and darker and darker and the warnings on the radio kept getting stronger and stronger I was I was I became worried and I think I, I still think it's the most terrified I've ever felt in my life when when this, this cloud was just probably a couple miles away and I could see in the sky it begin to rotate. And you could just see it begin to move. And I, I, was, I was paralyzed with fear. And I'm trying to get where we're going. And by, by God's grace, I, I, I made it there and, and all was well. And that, that cloud didn't turn into a funnel, though several others did as we come to the Scriptures, one of the things that Jesus tells us is that there is, there is a storm coming. And this is not just any other storm, but there is a storm that there is really no refuge for apart from Christ. And that there is a day coming when the clouds will indeed part and Christ will descend and all people will be called to stand before God and there will be a final day of judgment. This idea of judgment is, is not popular in, in our world. We don't like that idea that we will be called to account for how we live. But that day is coming, the Lord says. And in His mercy, God sent His Son Jesus to tell us how we can survive this storm. What it is that, that God wants from us, so that when this day of judgment comes, that we might be able to stand... And be received by the God of glory. And the way that it is that we will be received is if we respond rightly to Jesus, His Son. Then what does it mean to respond rightly to to Jesus? What is it that that He wants from us? Well, as we've been studying through the the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen very clearly that it's, it's not just coming to church it's not just praying a prayer or walking an aisle or checking a box or getting baptized or you know, putting a fish on your car or any of those things. Those things may happen. And some of those should happen. But there is something much, much deeper in regards to our hearts that God wants from us. And what it is that God wants from us is to believe upon His Son. Is to hear that this, this Jesus who came, that the things that He says are true... And that we must turn away from our sin and believe in Him who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that we are to do that now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we are to prepare for that storm of judgment because we do not know when it will come. But we do know that it will come. So to help us conclude our series in the Sermon on the Mount and to think about this, this final day of judgment. I'm going to ask that you join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. If you're visiting with us today and you don't have a Bible, there's one provided in front of you. It will be on page 812, and it will really help you to follow along. or to be covering a, a sizable portion of, of God's Word together this morning. Matthew chapter 7. 7 We're going to pick it up in verse 13, in this conclusion of Jesus' portrayal for us of what it means to be a disciple of His, one who will stand on that final day of judgment. Verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. Thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, Who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. To help us reflect on this this weighty section of Scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to to hear what Jesus says about several pairs of ideas. We're going to look at at two gates. We're going to look at two types of guides along the journey. And two storms. These two foundations that we spoke of at the end. So let's, let's look first here verses 13 through 14 at these two gates. And we want to ask the question, which way are you walking? Which way are you walking? Verse 13. Again, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So here Jesus speaks of Two gates. There's a narrow gate and there is a wide gate. You also notice there that both of these gates lead to different ways or different roads. And each of these ways or roads has travelers traveling upon them. And depending on which way you're walking and which path you're on and which gate you have gone through, There are different destinies for each of these travelers. All these roads lead somewhere. And Jesus says there are only two gates and only two paths and only two potential destinies before each of us. And that we are to choose one or the other. In verse 13, Jesus calls for us to enter by the narrow gate. This is the call to everybody who will hear. He says, follow down the path of life. Why should we listen to him? Because he he warns that there's there's another path. There's the the gate that is wide and a, a path that is easy and that that way leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. He says, the wide gate leads to a way that's easy. It's the popular way. It's the easily accessible way. It's the way that comes natural to all of us. And as we notice, Jesus says here that many have chosen to walk through this wide gate and onto this broad path. And on this easy way, you will find atheists and you will find agnostics You will find Muslims, and you will find Jews. You will find Hindus, and you will find Buddhists. There will be Catholics there, and Episcopalians, and Methodists, and Presbyterians, and Baptists. You'll find politicians, and pastors, and plumbers, and good old boys and girls. You'll find liberals, you'll find conservatives. You'll find the rich, you'll find the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the gay, and the straight. The path of destruction does not discriminate. It's open to anybody. The way to destruction has a gate that is broad, And it's tolerant, and it's inviting, and it's permissive. It's lined with comforts and quick fixes and easy excuses for compromise. It's filled with fun and excitement and seduction and all kinds of temporary fulfillments. And sometimes it's really flashy. But most often, it's just really normal. Normal. It's lined with green green grass and white picket fences and 1.9 children and medium caramel lattes and all the other things that are just kind of everyday life. It's, it's got smiles and sunsets. And Not that those things are bad. Those things are... Many of them are wonderful. But many of them lull us into deception, into thinking that all is well because this is the way that everybody else is going. And I want us to notice again that those who enter by it are are many. It means most people that we know have entered through the wide gate and are on the road that leads to destruction, my friends. Family members, neighbors, co-workers. The people we pass by every day. I'm an avid sports fan and I enjoy from time to time to go to a game. It's rare for me to be at at, at a game and and to sit there with 10,000 or so other people and, and not at some point in there to kind of look around and just be overwhelmed with all of these people and to think about how Jesus describes a, a final day of judgment when all people from all times that nobody will escape will be brought before this throne room of God. and There will be the crowd that we won't even be able to imagine how large it will be. But, and I sit there and I, I look at all of the people and I wonder how many of them are on the broad road right now? Drinking their Cokes, eating a hot dog, getting mad some guy in spandex doesn't run across a line. I just wonder how many. In verse 14, Jesus says, there's another way. It's not an easy way, it's not a popular way, but there's another way, and it's a better way. There's a gate that is narrow. The word literally it means narrow, but it means restricted. It requires conformity to fit through. Conformity to who? Conformity to Jesus. Because He is the gatekeeper. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. And everyone who enters by me he will be saved and will go out and to find pasture. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. He says, Come to me. Follow my way. I give life. I give joy. I give hope. I give freedom. Follow me. There's a better way. We need to ask Will you and are you following him? Will you forsake living for this life and all of the temporary things that come along the way? Are you willing to surrender all to follow the One who promises eternal life? And this isn't just a call for for following Him for one day. This This is a call to follow Him until we see Him face to face. And as we do, we... We go with this One who is the Good Shepherd, who who teaches us about life and opens our eyes to see what the broad road road was and what it was like for us to be upon it and now how merciful He has been to to take us on this this narrow way that He has paved with His blood and to teach us about what it means to to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and what it means to, to love other people and to have compassion for those who are hurting and to care for the needy and to flee from the constant calls to come back over to the broad road. Jesus says, come. And it's good that He he walks with us through this because in verse 14, again, He warns us that the way is hard that leads to life. And why is it hard? Because there's tribulation and there's trial and there's persecution upon this path. And the reason is because when you walk with Christ, you walk against the flow of of the broad way. Our ideas, which are, we hope, Christ's ideas, they, they, they clash with the broad road. We'll be viewed as arrogant and narrow-minded and bigoted because we don't support ideas and values that everybody seems to assume are good. Be mocked and rejected and forsaken. Christ promised this. But He also promised that it would be worth it. Last Sunday night we talked about a man named Jamal, and this morning we we prayed for him. Jamal is a brother in Christ who grew up in, in Iraq, grew up hating Christians, and was actually a fierce persecutor of Christians. But one night he was awoken with a dream. And in the dream he was told to read the Bible. And when he awoke, he went to the shelf and pulled down the Bible that he had and he opened it and he began to read and he encountered this Jesus through God's Word. And he saw that he himself was a sinner and that Jesus had died for sinners and rose from the dead and he repented of his sins and became a follower of Christ and began to be an evangelist. He just started telling everybody about what what Christ had done for him. And he's recently been arrested for his faith in Christ on some, 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 some bogus charges, and he is in prison. And a friend of ours visited him recently in prison in northern Iraq. And he said that when he went to see him, he said you, you could tell that he had been beaten. And you could tell that he was suffering much. And as he went, he, he took his children with him, and, and Jamal got to speak to his children and encouraged them as he stood there bruised from the wounds that he had received from following Christ, and he said, you follow Christ. He is worth it. And many in our world would say that Jamal is a fool. Why would you give up everything so that you can be beaten in a a prison and then tell your children to do the same, risking their lives? It's because... Jamal believes that that these things that Jesus says are true and that what matters most is what God thinks about us and not what anyone else thinks about us. And that, as Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We who follow Christ on that narrow way, we may lose much in this life. But what we receive in knowing Him and having his presence with us moment by moment in the hope of the day that we will see him face to face is immeasurable so i would ask you which road are you on are you on the narrow way follow christ now as we walk along these this narrow way there will be other other guides That will call out to us. In verses 15 through 20, we're going to see these these two guides. The first is Christ. And the second are others who would lure us away to Christ. So we'll ask the question, which voice are you listening to? Which voice are you listening to? Jesus says, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can the diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus warns that along this journey towards eternal life that there will be There will be other voices that call out to us to listen to them. They will compete with the good shepherd's voice. They will call us to listen to them, but but Jesus warns us that we must not. In verse 15 he calls them false prophets, and he tells us to beware of them. They are not our friends, because they do not tell us true things about God. And what's most unsettling about these prophets again verse 15 is that they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That means that they're disguised as God's servants but they're dressed to deceive. They pretend to be something that they aren't. And this is this is Satan's MO. This is what he does. He's a pretender. He's a liar, he's a poser, he's a deceiver, and he's good at what he does. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warns about these same false guides. He says they are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We must be very careful to whose voice we listen. One of my seminary professors shared a a true story from a number of years ago about a woman and her newborn baby who were traveling by train in the dead of winter uh, out in the, the, the Midwest. And as as the woman boarded the train, she, she told the conductor that she didn't really know the route, and she asked if um, he would help her know when she and her baby should get off the train. The conductor gently told the woman that her stop was the fourth stop, but that she should sit right here in the front seat, and that he would come back and he would tell her when it was her time to get off. And he could tell that she was still pretty nervous, so he, he reassured her, listen, you sit right here and i will come and get you and i will tell you when it is your turn to get off do not worry the tra- tra- train ride began and she held her her child and looked out the window and it was there was a a blizzard that was going on and the the snow had actually stacked up so high that you could barely see out of of the of the window soon enough the train came to the the first stop then the second stop and the third stop and then a stop at the fourth stop a man sitting next to the woman said to her "Um, this is this is your your stop and she said well the conductor said that he was going to come back and he said listen I I run this route all the time I I know it the conductor must have forgotten this is this is your stop so the woman thanked the man and picked up her child and picked up her bag and he helped to open the door and she stepped out and no sooner than she did than the, the train took off it went on for for a while and then it stopped again and right before it did, the conductor appeared and looked at the empty seat and said to the man, where's the woman and her child? And he said, well, she got off at, at the fourth stop. I, I told her that, that you probably forgot about her. And the conductor's face went, went pale and he said that we... We stopped to move a tree that had fallen on the tracks. That was not her stop. They put the train in reverse and began a search. When they found her, it was too late. It had been too long. It was too cold. There are many today who compete with the commands of the conductor. Jesus warns us that all voices do not tell us the truth. Even, even many that are well intended. And as Jesus' disciples, we must practice discernment to guard our hearts from being deceived. An important question to ask is then, then how do we know who's telling the truth? How do we know who to to listen to? Jesus says it's the same way that you tell whether a tree is healthy or not. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their their fruits. This means that God's Spirit will help us as individual Christians and us as a church to be able to interact with ideas when they come at us for us to be able to hear them and discern them. To sift out what is is right and, and what is is a lie. This is the reason it's so important for us to hear this is because we live in a world that, that lies to us all day long. So this is not to make you paranoid, but it's just the reality of the world that we live in, that it lies to us all day long. And whether we look for false prophets behind pulpits or in popular media we've got to know they're they're everywhere and we've been warned that it would be this way listen to this from second timothy the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths So, whenever a TV preacher tells you that you're a champion and that God's promised you a promotion and that your best days are just around the corner and that all you need to do is stay positive because things are going to go your way and any negative idea that comes in that you need to just get rid of that, what we need to do is to discern And to sift out what is true, because there may be some truth in some of that. But we also need to discern that any time a preacher can preach thousands of sermons and never say the word sin or hell or judgment, that somebody's selling you a bill of goods. And you've got to know that. Or when a popular news anchor says that the Bible is flawed and it needs to be amended to fit our values of today, we've got to recognize that, that that fruit is the exact same fruit that we heard come from Satan in the Garden of Eden when he said, did God really say? Satan is an unoriginal, he's unoriginal. He's He's a lying, deceiving, but he's, he's unoriginal. He does the same thing. He just masks it a little different. It's all the same. So whether it's a politician, or a talk show host, or a university professor, or a sports hero, or our neighbor, Christians are not called to be passive thinkers who just check their brains at the door and come on and be like, well, give me some Jesus. Like, that's not what it means to be a Christian. We want some Jesus, yes, but countless times, you can count it, but there's a lot of times in the New Testament it tells you we're to renew our minds. What happens in our minds is important. We're supposed to engage with thought. We're not just supposed to be a bunch of buffoons walking around acting like okay and eating everything that's put on our table. And what terrifies me is when you walk into a Christian bookstore and you see the things that are there, and just see what sells and what people love and who's hot and what... what you're like, oh yeah, one of those guys. We might be able to have a copy of, of that, of, of like real good stuff. It is terrifying. And if, and if in all honesty, you're not able to walk into a Christian bookstore and to be able to look with an eye that says, not all this is good. I want to just encourage you to know that's a dangerous place to be. Just because somebody says it's Christian doesn't mean it's christian we must engage with ideas and know that every message that comes our way is either going to help us think rightly about god and rightly about ourselves or wrongly about god and wrongly about ourselves and we as christians must be a discerning people and i'm not saying we need to be that guy who's like i'm sure everybody's wrong Everybody's wrong, and I'm going to find what's wrong. Like, that's just, that's not the kind of posture that we want. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about having a judgmental attitude. I'm not talking about having a, an arrogant, judgmental attitude. But I'm talking about we need to be discerning people who look at what, what we're eating before we eat it. Jesus calls us to that. So you know what I'd do if I was Satan? If I was Satan, what I'd do is I'd try to get you to not read your Bible. I'd want you to I'd want you to not read your bible. I'd want you to not memorize scripture. I want you to do a little here, maybe a little there, maybe have a verse here, maybe have a verse there. Maybe come to church on Sunday. But I, if I'm Satan, what I want is I want you I want you to know more about who just got divorced from Hollywood than you do about what happened in the Kings and Chronicles. And if I'm Satan, I want you to know more about s- stats and I want you to be able to list off every dude who's hit over 300 since 85 but I don't want you to be able to quote a single Bible verse because if I'm Satan I want to destroy your love for God and the way I do that is I feed you little lies at a time and I'm patient and I'm crafty and I'm all over some of you We have to be careful because we have an enemy. And that is why at church we read God's Word and we sing God's Word and we pray God's Word and we read really long passages of Scripture and preach really long sermons. Not because we don't have anything else to do, not because it's not a beautiful day outside but because our souls are important and what matters is we need to hear from God. That's, that's why we post a scripture that's going to be preached on the website and on a sermon card weeks and months in advance so that you can be studying on it. So that when you come, you already know questions that you have, things you want to make sure that you're looking for, so that you're ready. That's, that's why in our community groups we, we talk about the sermons and how it's affecting our lives because we don't want to be just people who hear it and be like, all right, preacher, good sermon, let's go, and then just forget it. No, we want to be a people who take God's word and put it in our hearts and live it out and help one another to do this. That's why our discipleship relationships, we sit down and we, we open the Bible and say, well, what does God's word say about this? That's why in our individual lives we have devotional times, where we we open God's Word and we study it and we, we talk with others about it. We want to be able to discern if what we are hearing leads us to love God more or to love Him less. And in the case that any of us would think that we could never be deceived by any kind of false teaching, Jesus gives a strong warning in verses 21 through 23 that There are many who will not get into heaven, but right now assume that they will. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know about you, but for me, that may well be the most terrifying section of Scripture in the Bible that we get a glimpse at what it will be like for someone who thinks that they're good with God to have a conversation with Jesus on that last day and for Him to say, I never knew you. You are now under my wrath in hell for all of eternity. That is absolutely terrifying. And is in my notes, but I want to point out here. Jesus said this. So like one of the things false prophets love to do in our day is to leave out stuff like this. This does not sell books. This does not sell stadiums. Or it may sell them. It doesn't fill them. But this is Jesus. We have no right to give Jesus a makeover. He is a gracious, merciful, loving God patient god but he is a good god and because he's good he deals with evil and he will judge all people and i want us to notice here that that these people they had accurate theological thoughts look what did they call him there they called him lord lord please hear me Not everybody who has the right answers gets into heaven. Because right answers does not save you. It's not about answers. And also notice their impressive resume. Much better than most of ours, I suspect. Verse 22. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? One of the things you see elsewhere in Scripture is that false prophets can do miracles as well sometimes, empowered by, by Satan. But I think it would be fair, and we could safely say here, that there are also some who would say, Lord, Lord, I, I went to church. And, and Lord, Lord, my, my parents loved you, and I fed the poor, and I gave to charities, and I was baptized, and I was a, a member in that church for a long time. But not everyone who has a, a rockin' religious resume gets into heaven because our religious resumes are not what saves us. And sadly, Jesus says in verse 22 that on that day, many, many will hear from Him. In verse 23, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of, of lawlessness. Now, when Jesus first preached this message, I'm suspecting that he had an eye looking at the Pharisees. Because you've got, you've got the Pharisees, and if you remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And as we've been talking about through this whole series, the Pharisees and the scribes, these guys, they knew answers. They had the entire uh, law memorized. They knew answers. And they had a pretty sweet religious resume. If you remember the Apostle Paul several times in the New Testament, he lists out his religious resume. He's like, listen, I was was A class, okay? He goes, I had it. If there's anybody who's going to boast about being Mr. Religious, I got all the stickers at Sunday school. Kids hated me. All right? He's like, I I did. I ran that place. Those guys had a lot of right answers, they had all kinds of religious trophies on their shelves, but those things don't help on the last day. So then, who gets into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says very simply in verse 21, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, what what these people lacked and what some in this room and some of you who may be listening elsewhere might be lacking is is the mark of faith and repentance. Repentance. The will of God, the Gospel of John says, is that you believe upon the one who he sent. That we believe upon Jesus. And I'm not talking about the way you believe upon George Washington. Like, we believe that there was a George Washington, okay? We believe that. But that doesn't do squat to your day. But believing in Jesus changes everything about our lives. There's an allegiance when we believe in Jesus. There's a repentance, a turning away from loving sin and on that broad way to now that we go through, we conform by trusting in Him, repenting of our sins, come through this narrow gate and begin walking on this, this way that leads to life, that our good shepherd is leading us along and empowering us by his spirit in the context of a community of a local church, that that's what's happening. And all the way, while these voices are coming to us, we're saying no, 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 we're trusting in Christ and we're looking to him. And when we get a little, little bit off track, we're, because we're in community, we have one another reaching out, and grabbing and pulling one another back, and we're crying out for help, and that's all the way home. Being a Christian is not just right answers and it's not religious resume. It is a heart that has been born again. That God has opened our eyes to see the narrow gate. And He said, that's where life is. And He's called us unto Himself. And He's given us His Spirit. And He's led us along. And we are new in Him. That is the will of God. And apart from that, nobody enters the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that same thing in John chapter 3. The whole chapter is about that. that You've got to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he means. Now, as a pastor, right now, I'm aware that we've got all kinds of different people in here. So, there's some of you that hear this warning about the Lord, Lord, and and then being sent away, and, and you're not worried about it not in an arrogant way, but you're like, I, I believe that I have trusted in Christ and I'm following after him and there's evidence in my life and people around me would, would confirm that. And that, that's good. Praise God. Keep running. Keep following Jesus. Then there's some of you who aren't concerned about these verses and that's not good because he is talking about you. And you've just listened to me for a moment. Please, nobody who arrived there in that scene, thought it was them. That's what deception is all about. It's about making you think that you're okay when you're not okay. So there's some of us in this room who needed to come to this passage and say, Jesus, is that me? Help me to see. And open your lives up to other people and say, come, help me examine myself. And then there's some of you who hear these verses and you are paralyzed with fear. Because anytime you hear verses like this, it makes you so terrified that you don't know if you're a Christian or not. Now, I want to encourage you that there's some of you who don't need to worry who probably are worrying that you're in Christ and you've trusted in Him. So what I'm going to encourage all of us to do later on today, sometime this week, don't wait, but spend some time in, in 1 John and just read through there and look at what it talks about to be a Christian and pray the whole way through. God, show me, show me if where I am in this. Show me. And then don't stop with just you, because you are not the expert on you. We need each other. Bring it to other people and ask other people to help you. If you have any questions, please come, come and see some of your your pastors, and we will pray with, with wisdom. So there's a narrow gate and a narrow way. We're to follow Christ and listen to His voice, not listening to all of the false ideas that come at us. And then we come to this final scene about building our lives upon Christ in verses 24 through 27, where we see two storms and two foundations. And we ask the question, will you survive the storm? And great was its fall. So Jesus concludes this this famous message by painting a picture of of two similar scenes. In these scenes, we, we find two men who are both builders. We find two houses that these men are building. We find two very different foundations on which these men build their houses. Two very similar storms that come, but two eternally different results. So what is it that distinguishes these two scenes? Well, look again at the first scene, verse 24. You have a man who hears or listens to Jesus' words. The word hear is in the the present tense, which means it's an ongoing thing. It's it's this man's pattern of life. This is what he does. He's continually hearing and consistently listening to the words of Jesus. But you'll notice that this man doesn't stop with just hearing them, because many people hear him. What sets him apart, verse 24, is that he what? He does them. His doing is also in the present tense. So this wise man humbly receives God's words and continually strives to obey them. This is the pattern of his life. What marks his life is that he's trying to obey Jesus in the power of the Spirit. He's a disciple. Also, verse 24, we notice that this wise man built his house on the rock. Now again, you'll remember Jesus was teaching near the Sea of Galilee. This sea's seas, uh, shoreline was made of sand that was brought in from a lot of different streams that fed the area. And during the summertime, the hot sun would cook this sand and it would become a pretty hard um, plot of land. You could stand on it. But a wise man wouldn't be fooled by the surface condition. Instead, he'd, he'd dig down about 10 feet to hit the bedrock, and that's where he'd build his foundation. That's what this man does. Because he knows that in the autumn and the winter, there's some rains and winds that are coming, and it comes and it fills things up and it washes out the sand. Verse 25, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. So this house is being assaulted by this storm. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This house, which represents this man's life, his life withstands the storm because it's upon the rock. And elsewhere, Jesus himself calls Him is called the rock. He alone is the one who keeps us from crumbling under the final judgment of God. Listen to this from Acts 4. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This wise man hears these words of Jesus and trusts him and obeys them. But in verse 26, there's another type of man. He's he's like the other guy, but there's one major difference. Listen for it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, verse 26, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. That one word. Not changes everything. And again, it is in the present tense. It's an ongoing posture of hearing, but not obeying, not following. And are there people in this this life, and maybe even in this church, who consistently hear Jesus' words but ignore them? Get, Get more serious after Jesus someday. We'll be a little more faithful when the kids are grown. Well, after this season's over, then, then we'll give attention to what God wants. And it's true, there are seasons. But some of us can be deceived into thinking that it's just seasons. But it may be a heart issue. And to this, Jesus says in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You see, a foolish man is one who ignores Jesus' words, but builds his house anyway. He hears them, but he doesn't, he doesn't believe them. And that's evidence because he doesn't put him into action. So instead he builds his house on the sand and, and what happens? Verse 27, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell and great was its fall. There is a storm coming. God God has marked a day when we will all stand before Him. And Jesus has given this Sermon on the Mount, and we have preached this Sermon on the Mount because we need to hear really clearly that there are two ways in life. You're either following Him on the narrow road, or you're running away from Him on the broad road. And we need to know that there are only two voices that cry out to us it's either the Good Shepherd's voice, who the scriptures say that, that we who are His children hear that voice, or it's all these other false prophets who give truth and lies mixed in together to deceive us and lure us away. And then we are all building our lives upon something. And it's either upon dead religion or just our own ideas. Or it's upon the living rock who is Christ. The one, the one who is worthy of all of our love and all of our trust. My prayer for myself and for us is that we would be a church that on that last day, that on that last day that there would be none among us who would say, Lord, Lord, did I not? But that we would all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us by faith press into that joy together. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a weighty section of scripture, but we thank you. We thank you that you, you love us enough to speak true words to us, and that you would give us hard and weighty words. And Father, we want to pray right now that you would intervene in each of our hearts, that wherever we are in this journey, that you would help us to see what path we're on and what voices we're listening to and on whom we are living our lives. Father, help us who are followers of Christ to continually renew our hearts after Christ. And for those who are not, Father, I pray and we pray that you might give sobriety even in this moment as we sing this song about this very passage that God, your word would pierce stony dead hearts and bring people to life. Give us grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.